Well, if you guys have noticed over the, the past couple of weeks, and especially in the evening services, both Max and David have, have done textual lessons, lessons where they just walk through the text. And I decided I'm just going to go ahead and jump onto that bandwagon, and we are going to do a textual lesson tonight. We're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to go through the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, he, he tells us what it means for us to be uh, children of God, for us to be a child of God, or what it means for us to be the people of God. In the first three chapters, Paul outlines everything that God has done for us. Uh, we see this starting right in the beginning of the book, Ephesians chapter 1. Go ahead and open up there. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading from verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In this verse, we see what God has done for us, and Paul tells us that before the foundation of the world, God created a saved people. Now, some people uh, read this verse, and they take uh, this idea too far. They take this idea of predestination too far. They'll read this verse, and they'll say, well, from the beginning, God has decided who is going to be saved. So before the foundation of the world, God has decided that you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved, and you're going to be lost, you're going to be lost, and you're going to be lost, and there's nothing uh, that we can do to change God's mind. That's how people read this verse. Well, that's really a, a misunderstanding of this verse. This verse is teaching us that God knew from the beginning that he would have a special people. God knew from the beginning that he would have a saved people that he would dwell with. This is something that God understood from the beginning. And this is something that we see from the beginning. Uh, when God created the earth, man was made special. God didn't create the earth so that he could have a relationship with the stars or with the trees. God created the earth so he could have a relationship with man. So we see that early on in the book. We also see the, the, uh, who is going to be the ruler of that people. Down in verse 20 of chapter 1. Down in verse 20 it says, "...which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come." And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see that Christ is going to be the ruler of this people. We also see who's going to make up this people. In chapter 2, we see that the, the Jews are going to make up the people and the Gentiles are going to make up the people. And in chapter 2, we see that both Jew and Gentile once lived in sin. But both Jew and Gentile also have received the grace of God. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul focuses on the Gentiles here. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. 
by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death uh, the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So we see here through, through God's grace, uh, this people who were once a lost people have been saved. And then when, when you get down to verse 19, or towards the end of chapter 2, we see that God makes this people into his temple. So God has a new temple, a temple made of people, and God is going to dwell with those people. And that sort of theme of what God has done for us just continues on into chapter 3. Whenever we get to chapter 4, there's sort of this change in focus. Paul makes a shift. In chapter 4, he, Paul isn't talking about what God has done for us anymore. Instead, Paul is talking about how we should respond. So in chapter 4, in verse 1... Paul says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. So whenever Paul says, therefore, he's really looking back to everything he said in, a, in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, where he says, God has done all of this stuff for us. So he says, therefore, since God has done all of this stuff for us, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you, has been, with which you have been called. And for the rest of the book, Paul tells us exactly what that means. He sort of outlines what it means for us to walk worthy. He talks about the, the marriage relationship. If we're going to walk worthy, we have to do marriage right. He talks about how women should be subject and how husbands should love their wives. Uh, uh, David talked a little bit about that this morning. He talks in these chapters, if we're going to walk worthy, then we have to raise our children right. He talks about staying away from sexual immorality. He talks about a lot of these things. But one of the things that he talks about uh, in this section, talking about we must walk worthy, one of the things he talks about is unity. And the interesting thing is, this is actually the first thing that he mentions. So pretty much as soon as he says, you guys need to walk worthy and here's how you do it, the first thing that he mentions is unity. It's not marriage, uh, it's not sexual immorality or drunkenness or raising children, it's unity. And that tells us something. That tells us that unity is important. Unity is something that we need to study. It's something that we need to focus on. It's something that we need to strive for. So in this lesson, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about unity, and we're going to use uh, the first 16 verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, because that's what Paul is talking about. So let's jump into the text. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, what do we see in these first three verses? In these first three verses, what we see is we see the ingredients of unity. These are attributes that we have to have if we're going to maintain unity within the church. So let's talk about some of these. Uh, he says we have to have humility if we're going to maintain unity in the church. Well, this is something we understand, right? This is true of just relationships in general. If a relationship is going to be successful, if a relationship is going to have unity, well, there's got to be humility. And that's especially true in a group like ours, a, a large group like ours where there's 350 people. And let me just say that is a blessing. Being able to, to worship with 350 people, 350 people who, have, who, who are focused on doing God's will, well, that is a blessing. But it also carries with it some challenges because we are all different. 
You know, this isn't a church full of 350 Rubens or Davids. We're all different people. We have different backgrounds. Some of us are, are very wealthy. Some of us are not so wealthy. Some of us have, uh, you know, have very high levels of education. Some of us have lower levels of education. We have differences culturally. We're not all the same race in here. Some people are Hispanic. Some people are black. Some people are white. So we come from different cultures. We're different. We have different ways of thinking. Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. And what that means is, there are gonna be times where we have differences of opinion. There are gonna be times where we disagree. For example, some people might think Wednesday night services should start at six o'clock. Uh, some people think it should start at seven and some of the wacky people, I guess, think it should start at 7.30. Uh, we're we're gonna have differences on some of those things, but when we do, we have to make sure that we don't let pride get in the way. Because sometimes pride can get in the way, and we start to think, well, my opinion is best. I know best, and everyone else should just listen to me. It should be my way. And that's just not how it is. We're not always going to get our way in the church. And we have to be humble. we got to remember that. Uh, this passage also in uh, Ephesians 4 and verse uh, 1, 2, and 3, this passage also talks about gentleness and how we need gentleness, and that's tied to humility. You know, some people, when they don't get their way, they're just ready to wage war. They're ready to start a fight. But that's not how it should be. That's not how Jesus was. Jesus is actually described as being a very gentle person. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, this is concerning the uh, triumphal entrance, so that's sort of the context that's going on here. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, or if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of, the foal of a beast of burden. So here we see that Jesus, the coming of his kingdom, it was, it was gentle. Jesus didn't come to create his kingdom. He didn't start his kingdom with, a, with an army behind him, ready to wage war, ready, ready to start this revolution. He was gentle. And that's not the way, in general, that's not the way kingdoms get started today. But that's the way the kingdom of God is, and his kingdom is still, is, is still standing today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when we don't get our way in a congregation, we can't be ready to wage war. We can't be ready to start this revolution where we're going to overthrow the leadership. We've got to understand it's not about us, and we have to be gentle. And Paul talks about other ingredients that we need. He talks about patience and tolerance. Uh, we need that, right? We, we are all different people. Uh, some people's personalities, they just clash, right? The introvert and the extrovert, their personalities are going to clash sometimes because maybe the introvert doesn't like to be hugged, but the extrovert really likes hugging people, all right? So those personalities are going to clash sometimes, but we've got to be tolerant with one another regarding those things. And Paul tells us that this isn't always easy, right? That's why he says in verse 3 that we have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why does he say be diligent? Because it's difficult. It takes work. This is why marriages have problems in our country. We started, we we're starting to see where d divorces are rising. This sort of thing takes work. But it's something we've got to do and we have to focus on. And we can't put it off. You know, the aspect behind this word, be diligent, the, the, I guess the, uh, the aspect behind that word also carries the connotation of making haste. 
This is something that we've got to do. We can't put it off until tomorrow. We've got to be working on unity today. It's important. So this is what Paul says in the first three verses. In these first three verses, we see the ingredients of unity. But that's not all we see. We can continue reading. Actually, let's start again in verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is himself uh, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. What do we see about unity in these verses down to verse 10? Well, we see here the foundation of our unity. Uh, as a matter of fact, in verse 3, it, 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 it's stated explicitly. The unity is of what? The unity is of the Spirit. This is a unity that has been given to us by the Spirit. It's not a unity that I created. It's not a unity that you created. And it's not a unity that we created together. This is a unity that the Spirit created, and we are called to maintain it. This is why Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, Paul, in this verse, he's quoting, he's quoting Psalm chapter 68. And in this psalm, when you go ahead and turn back there, Psalm chapter 68, we're going to read here a number of verses from Psalm chapter 68. But in this context, David is talking about what God has done for the people of Israel. And he highlights how God brought them out of the land of Egypt and put them into his kingdom to dwell with him in his city. So let's start reading verse, uh, verse 7. Psalm 68 and verse 7. It says, O God, when you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Down in verse 12, it says, Kings of the armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home will divide the spoil. Down in verse 14, it says, When the Almighty scattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalmon. So here in these verses, we see this is the journey from Egypt. God has delivered his people from captivity, from this slavery, and he's delivering them, walking with them through the wilderness. And not only this, he's also protecting them. He's providing them protection in the wilderness, and this is why the kings flee. Whenever we get down to verse 15 in this context, we see God dwelling in his city with his people. It says, the mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. O mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do, you look at envy, or why do you look with envy, O mountain, with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. So here we see in this, in this whole context David is talking about how God delivered his people safely from, uh, from Egypt, from slavery, so that they could dwell with him in the land. Well, Paul uses this verse so that he could teach us that we're just like the Israelites. God has also delivered us 
from a slavery, slavery from sin. And now God dwells with us in his kingdom. And the point here is that this is all God's doing. This was not something that that we have done for ourselves. Just like Israel didn't bring themselves out of Egypt, we don't bring ourselves out of slavery. God has done this for us. God has created this unity. So the foundation of our unity is in God and what he has given us. This is important for us to understand. This is also why it's important for us to maintain our unity. Because if we don't maintain our unity, what we're really doing is we're taking God's gift for granted. And we're taking Christ's sacrifice for granted. Because it's through Christ's sacrifice that we have become a united people. You know, this is what Paul means in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, whenever he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The idea there is the Holy Spirit has done so much for us. We need to make sure that we don't take that sort of thing for granted. So in verses 3 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 4, we see the foundation of unity. Well, let's pick back up here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In these verses, we see the objective or the goal of our unity. We actually see a lot of goals in in these verses. Starting in uh, in verse 11, he talks about all of these teachers that we have. And what's the goal of those teachers? Well, the goal of those teachers is the equipping of the saints. What's the goal of the equipping of the saints? The goal of the equipping of the saints is so that we can work. We all have a work to do within the the Lord's church. And what's what's the goal of that work? The goal of that work is so we can be built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So this, uh, this gets us to our question. What's the goal or the objective of our unity? Well, let's read from verse 13 and following. Until we all obtain, attain to the unity of the faith uh, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by by craftiness and the deceitful scheming. But, here it is, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, and Paul goes on from there. What we see in these verses that the goal of our unity is our growth. It's the growth of the church, the the maturing or the maturation of the church so that we can be more Christ-like. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into who? Well, into him, into Christ, who is head. Um, And that's the idea. Uh, This is the the concept of us being, being created in the image of God. You know, us being created in the image of God is not only that we are special people, and we are. 
We are, we are special among God's creation. But that idea of being created in the image of God is also a verb. It means we're supposed to be image bearers for Christ. That means the longer we walk down this road of, uh, of Christianity, the longer we're walking down this road, the more and more we should resemble Christ. When people look at us, they should see Christ or they should see God in us. And that's the idea of being image bearers for Christ. We need to remember or we need to resemble Christ. Um, in, verse, in verse 11, in verse 11, it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, uh, some as teachers. And then he talks about down in verse 13 about how the unified church is what? Is a mature man. Well, that's the unified church, a mature man. In contrast, the church that does not have unity, they're called as a result, we're no longer children. Well, they're called children. So the church without unity is children. And notice the tense there. there it's, a plural, it's a plural word. It's a plural noun. The, the, this, the, the church without unity, they're children, they're scattered about, they're, they're disorganized. But the church with unity, they're a, mature, they're a mature man because they understand the goal. The goal is the growth of the church and the growth of the kingdom. And this is something that we need to understand. And we need to understand that because uh, if we understand what our goal is, if we understand that our goal is the growth of the church and the growth of the kingdom, then that's going to help us out. That's going to clear up some, some misunderstandings. If we understand that, then we understand that it's not all about us. And it's not all about what I want and, and my preferences. You know, this was the attitude that Paul had. Let's go over to Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, or starting in verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So we see in these two verses that Paul's in prison. Uh, now, I don't know about you guys, but that is not my preferred situation. That's, that is not where I would just like to be, but that's where Paul is. But notice what Paul says as he continues on. He says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, picking up in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also for goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And then he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Well, Paul here says, you know what? I might not be in the greatest situation. Things might not be going my way, but you know what? The kingdom of God is benefiting. The kingdom of God is growing. And that is what is truly important. You know, we need to have that mindset. Things might not go our way uh, in, in the church. Everything isn't going to just happen the way Reuben wants it. But is God's will being done? And is the kingdom and is the church growing? We need to make sure that we ask that question because that is an important question. But we also need to ask that question for our, of ourselves. Are we, are we growing? Are we maturing in Christ? Are we maturing or growing into that mature man or, you know, mature woman? You know, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Are we growing in that sense? 
Well, if not, then we're still like the children who are, who are disorganized and not unified. If we're like the children, we need to do something differently. Paul tells us that if we're going to be part of the gospel of Christ, if we're going to be part of one of God's people, then we have to walk worthy. So let me just ask this question in close. Are you walking worthy? Well, maybe there's someone who's here tonight who realizes that they're not walking worthy. They've been living according to the course of this world, but you want to change that. If you want to change that, we can help you out. Or maybe there's someone else who, who wants to become a child of God, wants to become a Christian tonight. Well, we'd love to help you out with that also. That's good news. If you need one of those things, you come now as we stand and as we sing.